Hello and welcome to The Rebind, a podcast about putting all the pages of the Bible back together. In today's look at Ezekiel 13 and 14, we're going to listen to some the thus saith the Lord's about listening to the thus saith the Lord and see what it looks like to heed the voice of God in a sea of noise. guys enjoyed last week's refresher on Ezekiel. It kind of feels like today is the start of Ezekiel season two or something, just with all the buildup we've had after finishing chapter 11. But you know, that's not a bad way of looking at it. Uh, We saw from chapters four all the way to chapter 11, this crescendo that kept building and building and climaxed in the glory of God leaving the temple. And now in chapter 12, we're kind of starting over with a new set of prophecies. The minor key melody is still the same. The overarching warning and themes are still pushing through. But we're getting some different angles on that now. Most of how I've seen Ezekiel outlined goes something like um, chapters 1 to 3, Ezekiel's commission. Chapter 4 to 7, judgment for the land. Chapter 8 to 11, the glory of God leaves the temple. Chapter 12 to 24, other prophecies. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's just harder to group the proclamations and prophecies at this point into some interconnecting plot line or common message besides just judgment is coming. Yeah, still. Yep, it's, it's still coming. So we just label Ezekiel season two that random mix of more of the same. But that's kind of unfortunate, I think. We can never forget the bigger purpose that God has in giving these prophecies and what we learn from the whole structure of the book. The warning of coming judgment on Jerusalem may be repetitive, but that's kind of the point. The problem is precisely that these people aren't having it. They're putting up all kinds of barriers, coaching themselves with all kinds of half-truths to make themselves invincible and immune to what God is trying to get through to them. So the shocking language, the uncomfortable images, the amped up poetry, it's all part of the prophet shaking these people up to wake them up to reality, snap them out of their comatose dream worlds. So I don't think we're starting out today looking at a random collection of other prophecies as if Ezekiel's disciples said, hey, you know, we just finished with the glory of God leaving the temple. What do we do with all these other things Ezekiel prophesied? No, that's just let's just shove them all in here before we get to the next part. No, if you remember back towards the start of our Ezekiel discussions, we used the analogy of um, like an action movie or video game, where you have to shut down all the force fields, take down all the the mini bosses, break down all of the defenses before you can strike where it really counts. What we're getting now in Ezekiel season two is a thorough dismantling of the defenses that are still standing. Different angles for sure, maybe not quite as linear as 4 to 11, but still very purposeful and very relevant for us. So for today and next week, we're going to start out season two, looking at chapters 12 to 14. But we're going to split it up into two weeks for time's sake. I'm really excited about this one, this mini boss fight, if you will. 
in our new section because it actually intersects with the purpose of this podcast really well. Now, on the Rebind, we're all about engaging with all of the Bible, not just a few verses that we like, not just the stuff that comes naturally or fits with what we already think, but all of it. We, we need the message of Romans and the Gospel of John, definitely. But we also need the message of Leviticus and Haggai and Philemon and Job to shape our perspectives on life, shape our Christian witness, our relationship with the God who reveals himself in the scriptures. But the message of the Bible is not the only message we're hearing in a given week, right? In fact, especially in our information and technology age, we're probably hearing competing messages far more often. How do we sort through what we're hearing about what's important in life, where we're headed in life, how we get there? Sure, we could give the old Sunday school, just look at the Bible. But the Bible is one voice among the sea of voices we are battered with every day. From our unbelieving coworkers to TV advertisements to you name it. I mean, even the Jehovah's Witnesses at our doors will claim the Bible supports their message. How do we sort through all these voices? What are we in danger of believing or doing if we let them keep crashing over us without processing their impact in our lives? And how might Ezekiel shake us out of that in chapter 12 to 14, 11? Well, let's take a look. I've asked Linda Philpot from Eastville, Virginia to read the scripture for us this morning. This is Ezekiel 12 through 1316 in the Common English Bible Translation. Verse 1. The Lord's word came to me. Human one, you live in a household of rebels. They have eyes to see, but they don't see. Ears to hear, but they don't hear. Because they are a household of rebels. But you, human one, prepare a backpack for going into exile. In the daytime, while they watch, go into exile while they watch. Go from your place to another. Even though they are a household of rebels, perhaps they will understand. In the daytime, while they watch, carry your backpack as if for exile. At twilight, while they watch, Go out like those who are led out to exile. While they watch, dig a hole through the wall and take your backpack out through it. When they watch, shoulder your backpack and carry it out in the dark. Cover your face so you can't see the land, because I'm making you a sign for the house of Israel. So, I did as I was commanded. I carried out my backpack like an exile's backpack in the daytime. At night, I dug a hole through the wall with my hands. In the darkness, I shouldered my backpack and carried it out while they watched. In the morning, the Lord's word came to me. Human one, has the house of Israel, that household of rebels, asked you what you are doing? Say to them, the Lord God proclaims, this concerns the prince of Jerusalem along with the entire house of Israel in it. Say, I'm your sign, just as I have done, so it will be done to them. They will go into captivity and exile. Their prince will shoulder his backpack at night and go out. They will dig through the wall to lead him out through it, and he will cover his face so that his eyes won't see the land. 
But I will spread my net over him, catch him in my trap, and bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. He won't see it, but he will die there. As for those who are in league with him, I will scatter his helpers and all his troops to the winds and let the sword loose after them. They will know that I am the Lord when I disperse among them the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. But I will preserve a few of their number from the sword, famine, and plague, so that they may confess all their detestable practices among the nations where they go. They will know that I am the Lord. The Lord's word came to me, human one, eat your bread in trembling and drink your water in anxious agitation. Say to the land's people, the Lord God proclaims to those living in Jerusalem regarding Israel's fertile land as they anxiously eat up their bread and drink up their water in dismay. The land will be emptied of everything in it because of the violence of all who live there. The inhabited cities will be laid in waste and land left desolate, and you will know that I am the Lord. So we're starting out here with another vivid warning of the judgment to come on Jerusalem. As evidence that we're starting over a new section, it begins with the Lord coaching Ezekiel the same way that he did in chapter 2. Remember, Ezekiel, you're living in the middle of a stubborn lot, (laughs) They've got eyeballs, and you'd think they'd see with them, but they've chosen to be blind. They've got ears, but they do not hear. Therefore, act this out right in front of them. Show them what they're trying to avoid in a way they can't ignore. So the text is spelling out for us the things that I've been summarizing about what God is after. These people are stubborn. This message isn't getting through to them. Therefore, come at it from this different angle, these vivid synaxes to get through to them. What's the purpose of all that? Just to throw salt on a gaping wound for poor victims? No, verse 15, then they will know that I am the Lord. They will confess all their abominable practices. Then they will know I am the Lord. You remember that repeated phrase? We see it again at the end of what was read. Even in the devastation, with everything broken down, at least all the personal dream world barriers will be broken down too. Then you will know I am the Lord. So the start of these chapters rehashes what the message of coming judgment is. But now we start to fight against the way that the people have twisted that message. The the way that people have picked up some competing messages instead. The Lord's word came to me. Human one, what is this proverb of your people concerning Israel's fertile land? They say the days go by and every vision vanishes. Therefore say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I'll put an end to this proverb. It will never again be uttered in Israel. Tell them instead, the days are coming soon for the fulfillment of every vision. Never again will there be any worthless vision or deceptive divination in the house of Israel. I am the Lord. The word that I speak is the word that I will speak. It will happen and be delayed no longer. In your days, household of rebels, I speak a word and make it happen. This is what the Lord God says. 
The Lord's word came to me. Human one, the house of Israel is now saying, the vision that he sees is for distant days. He prophesies about the future. Therefore, say to them, the Lord God proclaims, it will be delayed no longer. Every word of mine that I've spoken is certain, and it will happen. This is what the Lord God says. From this point all the way through to chapter 14, verse 11, we see the Lord start to pick apart these dangerous subliminal messages, or maybe not so subliminal, uh, that are undermining the message he's giving them. Whether it's by picking apart a popular saying among the people or calling out uh, these fake, self-serving wannabe prophets or indicting the leaders who want it both ways, God cuts to the heart of how they're thinking and what they're believing to sift through the voices with the strainer of his own voice. For a lot of this, he goes after the people who have decided to make themselves authorities on matters of life and death and religion who are flooding the people's ears with mixed messages. But God's not afraid to go after the people, too, and how they're responding to those mixed messages. So, we see here at the end of chapter 12, twice, the Lord goes after this mindset and message among the people that says, God's word is all bark and no bite. The days grow long and every vision comes to nothing, they say. To which God says, um, more like the days are near and the fulfillment of every vision. They say, the vision he sees is for way down the line, far beyond us. But God says, actually, the buck stops here. The line reached its finish. I will perform what I've spoken with no more delay. So there's actually not too much background info we need to know to get the point of this one <laughs> It's pretty straightforward. We're hearing the prophets say things all the time, warn things, promise things. Whether you say they're real prophets or fake ones, and nothing's happening. There's some loud, crazy, or enticing promise, and the days drag on, and all of it just fizzles out. God's word is all bark and no bite. Now, some people are a little bit more conservative, but not any better off, because they think, well... These prophets have been projecting so far down the line for so long, none of this is going to touch us anyway. I mean, why care what happens to my great-great-great-great-grandchild? Why care what happens to some unforeseen afterlife if my life now looks no different? I mean, you don't need to be a Jewish exile living in Babylon to see that subliminal message in the back of your own head. God's word is all bark and no bite, we think. When we see the latest end of the world come and go so many times, we start to treat the real end of the world with about as much seriousness as we treat the teleprophets asking for our money. We see so many manipulative, made-up promises, so many manipulative and made-up warnings that we evaluate God's promises and warnings with the same cynicism. We've heard the hellfire preachers warning our damnation so many times, so many ways, or We've seen TV shows and movies portray that, at least. That we walk away thinking, you know, I actually feel okay. No fire has fallen from heaven. And so we train ourselves to totally disregard any preacher or church or religion that tells us God isn't happy with us and there's consequences. It's all just bark, no bite, no consequences. I remember listening to... Um, 
what I thought was a tragic story on the Moth podcast called Targeted by Jen Lee. She shares uh, her story of disillusionment with Christianity. She was a Mary Kay makeup saleswoman and also an evangelist for her trendy church when she came to the point walking in a target aisle, targeting people, thinking, am I trying to sell someone Mary Kay right now or Jesus? Like, does she need Mary Kay or or does she need Jesus? Now, no one actually needed Mary Kay. She was working to convince people they did, so they'd buy it. And that thinking got her to wonder, if people can go on with their lives just fine without this makeup, no consequences to who they really are, then why am I still trying to market the promise of Jesus? It must be all bark, no bite. The days draw long and all comes to nothing. Those hellfire preachers can scream all they want, but when I go home, we think, what's different about the non-Christian down the street? What's been different for 2,000 years now with nothing happening? And oh yeah, plenty of other religions have been screaming too with nothing happening. Why bother taking this seriously? Especially when it's so negative and demanding and, and uncomfortable. Now, what does the Lord do in these verses to address that? Well, it's not especially complicated. He basically just says, you're wrong. You've got it all wrong. Maybe no one believes the boy who cried wolf anymore, but it doesn't mean that the wolf doesn't actually come and eat the sheep. The problem is not that there are some promises and warnings that don't pan out. The problem is sifting the real ones from the wrong ones. The fact that the Lord repurposes the popular proverb to say, The days are soon coming for the fulfillment of every vision. It implies, on the one hand, that the made-up visions will be weeded out, but also that the real messages of God will validate themselves when it happens. When we talk about God's judgment in the book of Ezekiel and when we warn about it on the Rebind or on church or whatever, it isn't like we feel like being hateful and intolerant. (laughs) It isn't like Ezekiel selling Mary Kay. Trying to get you to need something you don't actually need. It's, it's the opposite, guys. It's saving us from what we've been sold on to see what we actually need. If a hurricane is coming, it doesn't matter how many weathermen you distrust. We're not pointing to the radar because we'd like disaster, but because we need to wake up before it's too late. Messages of future judgment and hope are only cruel and misleading if we're assuming it's all fake to begin with which is what we start to assume when we let the sea of noise drown out the voice of God. But when it pushes through like it does in these chapters and challenges our subliminal messages, challenges the popular proverbs of the status quo, then we start to see the urgency, the relevance, the reality of all of the word of God sifting through all the big answers people are giving to the big questions of life. Think about how much you really believe the Bible is all bark and no bite. And let God snap you out of that coma. I, the Lord, will speak. Whatever word I speak will be accomplished. But there's more counterfeit messages and dangerous mindsets to weed out. So let's keep going in chapter 13. The Lord's word came to me, human one, prophesy to 
Israel's prophets who will prophesy from their own imaginations say, Hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims, doomed to the foolish prophets who follow their own whims but see nothing. Israel, your prophets have been like jackals among ruins. You haven't gone up into the breach or reinforced the wall of the house of Israel so that it might withstand the battle on the day of the Lord. They saw worthless visions and performed deceptive divinations. Even though the Lord didn't send them, they said, this is what the Lord says, and expected their word to stand. Didn't you see worthless visions? And didn't you report deceptive divinations and say, this is what the Lord says, even though I didn't speak? Therefore, the Lord God proclaims, because you spoke worthless things and had false visions, I'm against you. This is what the Lord God says. I'll wield my power against the prophets, those seers of nothingness and diviners of lies. They won't be included in my people's council or recorded in the house of Israel's official records or enter Israel's fertile land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Without a doubt, they led my people astray, saying, Peace, when there was no peace. And he is building a wall when they were the ones who laid on the plaster. Say to those who laid on the plaster that it will fall when the flooding rains appear and I send hailstones, it will collapse, and the storm winds will break it apart. The wall will certainly fall. Won't it be said about you, where is your plaster now? Therefore, the Lord God proclaims, In my fury, I will make a storm wind break out, and in my anger, there will be flooding rains and hailstorms and consuming wrath. I will tear down the wall on which you laid plaster. I will raise it to the ground and expose its foundation. When it falls, you will be destroyed with it, and you will know that I am the Lord. I will exhaust my fury on the wall and on those who laid plaster on it. Then I will say to you, where is the wall? And where are those who plastered it? Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and envisioned peace when there was no peace. This is what the Lord God says. The word of the Lord. We hinted earlier that Ezekiel wasn't the only one claiming to speak for God. But now, instead of addressing the crowds in that confusion, God goes straight for the false advertisers who prophesy from their imagination, it says. They follow their heart like a Disney movie, but God isn't the one putting stuff there. <laughs> the biggest indictment running throughout these verses is that they're reassuring the people of Israel, everything's going to be fine when it's not fine. Nothing's wrong. Well, there's plenty wrong. Plenty wrong with them and what they're doing, and plenty wrong with what's going to happen to their false sense of security. But there's a number of ways that this section draws that out for us. At first, he calls these fake prophets jackals among ruins. Not a very positive thing, if you can't tell. <laughs> I mean, think of what a jackal would do in the wilderness, right? Hunting for prey. Well, in the wake of warfare and impending invasion, these false advertisers are actually preying on the victims by feeding them what they manage to come up with, feeding them what they want to hear, pretending, even believing it's from God. If, if anything, 
if they wanted this city to stand the invasion, if, if, if they wanted it all to survive the judgment, if they were really thinking, I want the best possible positive outcome, then they'd be barricading the city walls. But instead, they're hunting around the ruins for what more they can get out of it, what more they can sap from the people. God's calling it like he sees it, and, and he's seeing it better than they do. Their visions are worthless. And yet they actually expect it to hold up with the authority of God. He's chasing down the, the jackals, down their rabbit holes, down their bunny trails to make it abundantly clear to them, I'm not backing you up. I'm against you. He, he's disillusioning them of their disillusionment and their, and their bright ideas. Another thing that's, that's really prominent here is the idea of whitewashed or plastered walls. Now, you notice that idea of a wall ties in all these probing metaphors together, and it reinforces what we've been saying in the podcast about God breaking down their, their hard-hearted defenses, our barriers. Once again, though, instead of doing what's actually needed, rebuilding the wall, these false advertisers cover it up. They smear it with sentimental messages of cheap hope and fake futures to make things seem sturdier than they are. But it doesn't work. It doesn't last. And it doesn't help. Because the wall will actually be tested despite what the people in the last section thought. And half-truths and stubborn lies won't hold. When there's a deluge of rain, hailstones, and winds, where's your plaster now, it says. At the last part that we just looked at, dug up this dangerous lie that God's word is all bark and no bite. Then the competing subliminal message that gets the spotlight here is positivity always wins. We can take security and more positive messages when we don't like the message of God. That's the lie. Guys, there will always be those who are willing to tell us what we want to hear and tell us it with as much authority as they can muster. But tracing back the source of their message, their true authority, reveals brittle walls where bulwarks were promised. Notice the way that this ends, God once again goes back to the upshot of what will actually happen. Sure, society is filled with religious marketers trying to sell you exactly what you want and, and stamp it with a New York Times bestseller. But at the end of the day, where are all the positivity cults of the last century? Or the century before that? Or, or the soothsayers of our parents' generations? If they're not dead and gone, they're outdated. Unless we just want to drown in a sea of competing claims or just give up even trying to live for anything more than entertainment. We need something to sort out the real and the consequential from the claims that we like but might not be true. And that's coming. God says the truth will find out the lies. What he has said will actually happen. But we don't need to wait until then to know what it is. And we don't need to wait until the defensive walls come crashing down to tear down the plaster ourselves. We all tend to get by on subtle half-truths, self-serving manipulations of what God has actually said, actually promised, and actually warned us about. 
It's easier to do that when we just pick and choose the parts we like, but whether we're Christians or not, we still get competing messages crashing over us like waves, telling us God's work is all bark and no bite, telling us we can take security in more positive messages when we don't like God's. But even while those ideas help us feel more comfortable, less stressed, more sure of ourselves, more attracted to a God who's there to make us happy, Guys, all we're doing is walking into a hurricane with an umbrella. There's more to the book of Ezekiel than just the first half. Yes, wonderful, powerful promises of hope and life are coming. But we've got to let Ezekiel break us down before he can build us back up. God wants to break down the barriers, weed out our favorite noises that drown out his voice. To wrap up our episode, I'd say the powerful and insightful thing these chapters help us to see when it comes to engaging all the Bible is that maybe the biggest danger isn't our conscious disregard and disobedience. Maybe the danger is that voice of the serpent that says, did God really say? The sea of noise that batters us drowns out the voice of God, not by overtaking it, but by undermining it. Maybe what we're in danger of is not so much some new counter-Christian prophet with a big and booming message, but a swarm of cacophonous sounds that make everything seem so small and consequenceless. As we close, I want to pause to think about how time is related to these prophecies and the problems that they address. The people see time as a black hole, sucking up every claim of importance, taking away anything that doesn't just make them happy as time runs its course. But God proclaims that time will not dismantle his word, his beauty, his truth, his justice, his goodness, and his reign. Time actually will prove this recreation because it bends to God's resolve. God has promised and warned what will happen in time. And though time tempts us to question that, really time will sift these truths from the half-truths we believe. The question is if we see that, if we trust that, if we're ready for that and prepared like we should be, or if we walk out into a hurricane with an umbrella and barricade our houses when it's light. In the word of John Milton's poem, On Time, Fly, envious time, till thou run out thy race. Call on the lazy, leaden-stepping hours, whose speed is but the heavy plummet's pace, and glut thyself with what thy womb devours which is no more than what is false and vain and merely mortal dross. So little is our loss, so little is thy gain. For when as each thing bad thou hast entombed, and last of all thy greedy self consumed, then long eternity shall greet our bliss with an individual kiss, and joy shall overtake us as a flood. 
when everything that is sincerely good and perfectly divine with truth and peace and love shall ever shine, triumphing over death and chance and thee, O time. The Rebind is made possible by the help of Andrew Horning over at Andrew Horning Sound, who handles the audio mastering and music for the podcast, along with the art contributed by graphic designer Adam Anderson and the continued support of listeners like you. If you benefited from this podcast, it would be a huge help if you could give us a rating and review on iTunes, like us on social media, and spread the word. But lest these crashing waves wash out the powerful proclamation of God. We pray, Lord, may you sift the hopes of our hearts and the size of our minds to undo the undermining of your word, eroded by the battered waves of a sea of voices. And may we heed your burning with renewed humility and hold your promises with greater hope. May the walls we put up be broken down that we might know you are our sovereign Lord.